If 2024 were an Olympics, today would be the closing ceremony. Yet there are 351 days left until this year wraps up, and there's a lot of work to do. It is January 16th, 2024, and this is the corresponding edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm Sean Tubbs, already wondering what I will wear the next time the ball drops. On today's program, a quick look at recent building statistics in an Albemarle County that has set a housing goal for 2040. Albemarle County Board of Supervisors approves funding to subsidize rental costs for two affordable housing projects. The Charlottesville Planning Commission recommends the city spend more money on sidewalks in the five-year capital improvement program. And the Nelson County Board of Supervisors is briefed on what the Thomas Jefferson Soil and Water Conservation District does for the county. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, WTJU provides great music for the community every hour of the week, including live performance broadcasts by area artists. Get your calendar ready to mark down some of those times this week. Every third Saturday, WTJU hosts Third Rail, a live music series that pushes genre boundaries. On January 20th, the station will host Second Dinner, an experimental improvisational quartet from Charlottesville. This concert and all other Third Rail programs are broadcast live on WTJU, live video streaming at WTJU's YouTube channel, and are free for anyone to attend in person at 2244 Ivy Road. And every Friday night, WTJU hosts a live music series called Offbeat Roadhouse, featuring mostly acoustic artists, folk, blues, jazz, Americana, and beyond. This Friday features Spence and the Cats. That's a live concert that is free and open to the public. Check out the schedule at WTJU for more information. One goal of Charlottesville community engagement is to point people in the direction of ways that change is measured in the community. Most local governments keep track of construction activity and frequently report items such as the number of building permits and the amount of approvals for new living space. The Board of Supervisors adopted a policy called Housing Albemarle in July of 2021 that called for the construction of 11,750 new dwelling units by 2040 and stated that there were about 9,000 units already approved but not yet built. The consent agenda for the January 10, 2024 meeting of the Albemarle Board of Supervisors featured reports on both. Community development staff issued 451 certificates of occupancy in the county through the first nine months of the year. That's more than was issued in all of 2015 and 2016, but the county does not appear to be on pace to surpass 2020, when 1,143 certificates were granted. Switching to building permits, there were 456 issued through 2023's third quarter, with 333 of them issued during that period. In all of 2015, there were 514 permits issued, and there were 1,342 issued in 2020. That number declined to 838 in 2021 and rebounded to 914 in 2022. These reports also break down the information by magisterial district. 
Of the 333 residential units issued building permits in the third quarter, 287 of them were in the Rivanna district, and 279 of these are classified as multifamily units. There were a total of six in the Rio district, one in the Jack Jewett district, six in Samuel Miller, 22 in Scottsville, and 11 in Whitehall. There were a total of 63 certificates of occupancy issued in the third quarter, with 32 of these in the Whitehall District, 16 in the Scottsville District, 10 in the Rivanna District, 4 in the Samuel Miller District, 1 in the Jack Jewett District, and none in the Rio District. Both reports also break down whether permits were issued in the rural area or the growth area. Through the third quarter of 2023, 85.5% of new certificates of occupancy were issued in the development areas. Whitehall District Supervisor Ann Malik had this comment. Very grateful to see the continual reduced numbers in the rural area uh, because it shows that our plans are working and plans that were set out by our predecessors in the 80s and 90s are working. One speaker at the public comment period for this meeting called on supervisors to adjust the growth area boundaries. Here is Susan Perry. Uh, I live down Avon Street Extended, where the many housing developments are squished together and were built without adequate school accommodations, by the way. And at the end of my block, there's nothing but green pretty. Uh, It looks kind of surreal. The 20-year-old expansion zones are full. Uh, You may not think they're full, but they're pretty full. Community members can track the progress of the construction of new units through Albemarle's development dashboard. Perry lives within what is classified as Neighborhood 4, which shows 242 units approved but not yet built as of October 1, 2023. Those dashboards are supposed to be updated quarterly and will be checking back in soon. In one of these editions, I will finally get back to the December 19, 2023 Planning Commission Comprehensive Plan Work Sessions, on growth management. For now, on to the next story. The Albemarle County Board of Supervisors has approved the use of money in the county's housing fund for two projects to subsidize the cost of building affordable units. Stacy Pethia used to have the title of housing policy manager, but is now assistant director for housing in the Department of Human Services. Those two projects are the uh, Premier Circle Permanent Supportive Housing Project um, being developed by Virginia Supportive Housing, um, as well as the Southwood Cardinal Hill Apartments, which is being developed by Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville. The Premier Circle Project is a multi-phase initiative to develop the site of a former hotel on US-29 with 80 units built by VSH, as well as a future phase where the Piedmont Housing Alliance will build 60 units. The first phase has run into a budget shortfall, and City Council will hold second reading on approval of 750000 in funding at their meeting on January 16, 2024. So the Virginia Supportive Housing Project really focuses <coughs> excuse me, on that permanent supportive housing project, which um, serves ha- households with incomes between 30 and 50 percent AMI. So really reaching down to some of our, our, res- our residents and neighbors that have the greatest housing needs. For reference, the 2023 area median income for Albemarle was $123,000, according to Albemarle County's website. The first phase of Premier Circle will be 80 studio apartments with on-site services to help people with job training and other ways to move forward with their lives. 
It will be Virginia Supportive Housing's second project in the area after the crossings at 4th and Preston were built last decade in Charlottesville. Pethia said Virginia Supportive Housing has raised $22.6 million for the project, but the costs have continued to increase. She said the request to Albemarle and Charlottesville was $1.4 million. Council was told $1.5 million. When this $700,000 payment is complete, Pethia said Albemarle's total contribution will be $4.85 million. That includes the $2.4 million that we had um, allocated to the project, the ARPA funds, a few years ago, um, and approximately $1.75 million, um, which is the estimated worth of project-based vouchers that have been awarded to the project. The latter piece of information implements a specific strategy in Objective 10 of the Housing Albemarle Plan. Pethia acknowledged the city contributed $750,000, but that the county's amount would remain at $700,000. We believe, given the amount that we've already placed in, that $700,000 is appropriate. In the second project, Habitat requested $1.5 million to guarantee that 14 units at Cardinal Hill Apartments in Southwood be kept deeply affordable for a longer period of time, at a rent of nearly $500 a month compared to $1,200 a month. Here's a section from the staff report. Residents of the original Southwood Mobile Home Park will be given priority access to the Cardinal Hill units with a focus on avoiding resident displacement during and after the redevelopment process. Pethia said these properties were originally to be sold as condominium units. Really the focus is on the hardest to rehouse Southwood residents. So again, uh, those who may not be able to purchase a home on their own, at least right now, and senior residents. The rents again will be affordable to households with incomes at or below 80% AMI. And that range is really to provide some flexibility of the income qualifications for relocation purposes. The $1.5 million will guarantee affordability for 30 years and would go directly to pay down a construction loan. Albemarle has already contributed $306,000 for rental relocation assistance for Habitat's overall Southwood project. Pethia said this would satisfy Objective 2 of Housing Albemarle. Pethia also said Habitat and county officials are in talks about a performance agreement to guide the county's investment in Phase 2 of the Southwood project. That would let the county know how much funding they will be asked for in the future. She said the two organizations work together for funding opportunities from multiple sources, including the state and federal government. The governor announced on December 29th the county was awarded a $1.75 million CDBG grant for Phase 2, and that will help to install water and sewer lines to 75 houses. More about housing in Albemarle County in future editions of the newsletter and podcast. The Charlottesville Planning Commission has held its public hearing for the planning document that lays out what infrastructure the city plans to build within the next five years. They requested more funding for sidewalks as well as other adjustments before city manager Sam Sanders recommends his budget in early March. At the beginning of their meeting on January 9, 2024, Planning Commissioner Kareem Habab read a statement indicating that he would recuse himself from discussions or votes on affordable housing projects because the architectural firm he works for is helping to design projects to be built by Piedmont Housing Alliance. I have conferred with the city attorney's office and it is their legal opinion that my voluntary disqualification 
is consistent with the State and Local Conflict of Interests Act. The Planning Commission's role is to make recommendations for changes to the Capital Improvement Program before City Manager Sam Sanders unveils his proposed budget in early March. The group also had a work session on the draft document in late November. Chrissy Hamill is Charlottesville's Director of Budget and Performance Management. This is the same plan that you saw back in November. We've not made any changes at this point. With uh, the CIP, um, everything that we intend to spend needs to balance with any available revenues. Those revenues mostly come from the sale of bonds, which are then paid back through debt service payments each year. The city's AAA bond rating keeps interest rates low. Over the five-year plan, um, we're planning on spending just a little over $136 million. Um, over 80, just a little over $81 million of that is intended to be funded with bonds. City manager Sanders said the CIP at this point assumes no increase in the real property tax rate. Other revenues include state and federal funding for various projects. Another line item is a $4.217 million loan from Southern Development to help cover the costs of building a sidewalk on Stribling Avenue. That was part of the agreement for a rezoning for up to 170 units on currently undeveloped land in between the Fontaine Research Park and Jefferson Park Avenue Extended. The largest category for spending is in affordable housing, with nearly $48.3 million projected over the next five years. That includes $15 million for the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authorities pending redevelopment of West Haven. The government agency requested that amount last September. That figure also includes $3.15 million for the Piedmont Housing Alliance for their partnership with Woodard Properties at 501 Cherry Avenue. Transportation is second with over $29.2 million. Always keep in mind that council will only approve the first year's funding when they adopt a budget in April. The out years are for planning purposes. One item absent from the five-year plan at this time is between $25 million and $30 million for a pre-K center at Walker Upper Elementary School. I'll have more details on that in a future edition of the newsletter from City Council's joint meeting with the school board. Another item not yet funded is the city's share for renovations at the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library's central branch on East Market Street. The partnership agreement for the library system calls for Albemarle and Charlottesville to split the costs for capital improvement for both Central Library and the Gordon Avenue Library. Here is city manager Sam Sanders. We have not proposed it in the FY25 uh, CIP because we don't have that commitment from the county that they too can do it. We know that it is something that um, both bodies are interested in making happen. Sanders estimated it may be fiscal year 27 before the city can make that outlay. City Councilor Brian Pinkston said he'd like to see the renovations completed within the next five years. The library, in addition to being full of books, which I love, is also an important social uh, component of, of the city. The first speaker at the public hearing was David Plunkett, the director of JMRL, who said the renovation has been in the works for many years. He requested funding in two different years. One year would be architecture and engineering, and then the construction itself could begin, uh, hopefully, immediately following. The Central Library has served as the main branch of the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library since 1981. The building's co-owned by uh, Charlottesville and Albemarle County, 
And it is the most public building in Charlottesville, I guarantee. Uh, it serves this community with doors wide open 68 hours a week. Plunkett said the building is over 100 years old, and there's a need to renovate restrooms, replace heating, cooling, and ventilation, and fixing a leaky roof. A current cost estimate is $15.2 million based on a 2015 design. Two other speakers called on the city to create a land bank so that affordable housing funds could be used to buy property for construction of new units. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg said there was not enough funding being put into sidewalk and bike projects. As part of uh, the comprehensive plan um, and uh, during our zoning rewrite process, um, I think we, we made a promise, we, the city, made a promise to the city um, that we would invest in the infrastructure uh, to make the city a more walkable place to help people get out of their cars. Um, and $100,000 a year uh, is just not uh, an investment in that. Stolzenberg said the city was setting aside more than that pre-pandemic, and he suggested $500,000 for this year, working up to $1 million a year in anticipation of the city's creation this year of a sidewalk priority list. Commissioner Lyle Sola-Yates said he wants to fund the library, sidewalks, and trails, but said the city has to learn to be more financially sustainable. I'm uncomfortable voting for increased spending at this time unless we can figure out a way to fund it. Um, That is my concern. Commission Chair Hosea Mitchell said this was the seventh capital improvement program he's reviewed. He agreed with Sola Yates and suggested that the Planning Commission's recommendation to council would be to morally support projects and leave it up to elected officials to secure funding. Not necessarily lend an amount to, to what we're asking for, but to ask council as they begin deliberating to to give thoughts to uh, give thought to finding money for the this, things like sidewalks and finding money for the, the library and finding money or begin thinking about finding money for uh, land bank and land trust. The commission voted six to zero on a motion to recommend the CIP budget with amendments similar to what Mitchell had said, as well as two other requests. One is to restore new sidewalk levels to pre-pandemic levels and the other is to fund at least the design of the Central Library renovations. I am hoping that the next budget-related item I have for Charlottesville is a rundown of all of the various presentations that have made to council at their 4 o'clock work sessions going back to October. There's a lot of information happening with the budget, and Charlottesville Community Engagement exists to bring it to you. But you are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, the first new notes of 2024 have now been played, and the Charlottesville Jazz Society has all of the details you need to learn where the best ones can be heard coming up for the rest of this month. Check out the event calendar at seavillejazz.com to learn what's coming up beginning this Wednesday with the Charles Owens Trio playing at Common House at 6.30 p.m. and ending with the Society's local jazz spotlight series at Miller's on Sunday, January 28th. This month's spotlight will feature the Royce Campbell Trio with Royce Campbell on guitar, Bob Bowen on bass, and Jim Howe on drums. The Charlottesville Jazz Society is also seeking assistance with efforts to house out-of-town performers. A previous sponsorship with a local hotel has ended, so the Society is hoping for new donors who might be willing to be hotel heroes 
to help continue the flow of talent who come to Charlottesville to play. Visit SeavilleJazz.org to learn more. One more segment today, and we're going back to Nelson County for something that is also regional. In the 1930s, a series of dust storms plagued the drought-ridden United States of America, caused in part by decades and decades of poor management of topsoil and exploitative agricultural practices. As one remedy, new arms of state governments were created nationwide, including the Thomas Jefferson Soil and Water Conservation District. Ann Coates is the executive director. We were formed in the 1930s out of the Dust Bowl, and, and one of the primary um, differences with a conservation district versus a nonprofit, for instance, or another, some other government agencies is we, are, um, we have elected local directors. The Thomas Jefferson District has been in operation since 1939. Coates and other staff members gave an overview to the Nelson County Board of Supervisors on January 9th. Mark Campbell and David L. Collins won election in November to the two seats that represent Nelson County. Soil and water conservation districts do not have any taxation authority, but do help distribute revenues from state and federal sources. Coates said the Thomas Jefferson Soil and Water Conservation District is geographically the second largest in the district. Luke Longenecker is the conservation program's manager. What I do, what my team does, is we work one-on-one -on -one primarily with farmers and landowners uh, in Nelson County and the three other counties within our district to, to get, their know, get to know them, their operation, uh, what's working, what's not working, and try to come up with technical resources, grant funds, we educate them a lot on best practice, um, and we just try to help them improve their, their herd, their land management, their, you know, just anything that we can assist them. Part of the mission is to help implement efforts to conserve soil and improve water quality. For instance, there are funds available for farmers to keep livestock out of waterways using exclusion fences. I do want to highlight that all of these programs are voluntary. Farmers call us for assistance. We are non-regulatory and we do not want to be regulatory. And we are just here to help and, and answer questions and, and provide assistance in whatever way we can. Since 1998, the district has provided $2.9 million in cost-share funds for Nelson County landowners, which translates to over 55 miles of stream bank protected, 353 acres of trees planted, and 6,690 acres of cover crop planted. All of that funding goes back into the local economy. An economic boost in a lot of ways to farmers, to contractors, to well drillers, to the Lovington Farm Supply, to the Colleen Feed and Seed, to the Harvest Store in Nelson, and, and beyond. Landowners also provided their share of funding as well. At the moment, there are 36 approved projects in Nelson, totaling $1,271,120. Other projects the district is involved with include a project called a TMDL for the Thai River. That stands for Total Maximum Daily Load, and it's a way of determining how to improve water quality by restricting pollutants from entering waterways. We were able to work with DEQ um, to get them to provide a stable funding source for not only ag project, but for uh, septic BMPs as well, and that is repairs, replacements, uh, connection to public sewer. That reduces the amount of nitrogen that enters the watershed. Supervisor Jesse Rutherford said the conversation about septic fields is important in Nelson County. 
One unique attribute that we have is we require 100% reserve drain fields. And for the board that doesn't understand that, that basically means there's 100% reserve in the event the first portion fails, essentially, that you can replace it. Um, it's a very important practice because a lot of counties, I think, are common 50% or 75% reserve. And if you have a situation where you have, it's a three-bedroom septic system, but you got eight people living in one house, well, that reserve is going to become very important because it also takes into some consideration of expansion. Coates said there are also educational programs to help students understand the importance of being a good steward of the land. Coates said there are also educational programs to help students understand the importance of being a good steward of the land. There's also a program to help homeowners pay for improved stormwater management programs. More on this in the future. If you have any questions about any of this, please let me know. But that's the end of number 625. Are four segments too long? Should one of them have been postponed to the next edition? We'll never know because this one has been put to bed. And now it's time to get on to the next one and the one after that, and so on until whenever the last number is called. How will you know? For now, the official place for news on production of this podcast is my notes page on Substack. There's a link in the newsletter. That could change in the future, but it's what seems to make sense for this moment. All of these moments, researching and producing the newsletter and podcast, are covered by paid subscribers, either through Substack or through Patreon. I'm going to do a fun project on Patreon soon related to my own love of improvisational experimental sound. A little teaser is at the end of today's edition because why not? Ting will match your initial subscription through Substack. You know that by now if you've heard to hear how many people are actually listening to this end. Let me get, you know, let's see some hands. Oh, wait. I'm in a basement recording this. I can't see anybody. Anyway, time to go. Goodbye and uh, have a great day. Enjoy the snow. Recording in progress. I hear them calling Mr. Tubbs. Does anyone online want to speak with Mr. Tubbs? This is when your loved ones start to worry if you're able to manage on your own. I see Sean is tuned in uh, remotely. Sean isn't that right. Hi, Sean. Chief, you're a little soft. It would be nice if more people could show their pictures so we can learn to know who you are. It does look like there is some local media on, so uh, candidates be aware of that. Literally the best quote ever. Uh, for the Azalea 
spring subdivision. Those will not be on the consent agenda, but will be on the action items. Ah, yes, technical gremlins. <laughs>